Hello, everybody. This is Jared Van Vorst. And my name is Nathan McWhorter. And I'm Daniel Fagbui, and welcome to Table Talk Thursdays, where we field all your burning questions, and we'd love to hear from you. And we'll be doing this every single week. So please send in your questions to my email, which is daniel.fagbui at livechurchcanton.org. Look forward to hearing from you. Happy Thursday, my friends, and welcome to yet another episode of Table Talk Thursdays. If you can believe it, this is the 11th one of these, actually. So um, I'm thankful that you guys are engaging with this content. Um, If you happen to miss um, last week's podcast, Christ Our Peace, the beginning of that, I'm going to fill you on on some news. I've accepted a new position in real estate videography, so this episode and the one after it are going to be the last time that you're going to hear my voice for a while. Um, I'm thankful for all the time that I've spent. Uh, doing the podcast here and and being able to scratch the itch of uh, you know hosting hosting this thing and, and putting it together um, and I'm thankful for everybody that's listening. But um, Pastor Jared will be taking over the hosting duties of the podcast, so you can expect him uh, in a couple weeks here to be uh, the voice you're going to be hearing. So I'll miss everybody, um, but I just wanted to let you know on more than one episode that that's happening. So without. Uh, Keeping going on about that, here is Table Talk Thursday. Enjoy. Oh, we're live. Mm-hmm. We are live and in effect. All right. Excellent, excellent. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Table Talk Thursdays. I am here uh, with Pastor Nathan and Pastor Jared, and we're going to do what we do. I um, want to welcome everybody to this episode. Um I want to also remind you that uh, we here at Table Talk Thursdays want to field and answer any and every question that has to do with the most recent questions on the sermons, or most recent sermons, rather, any questions about life in general. Remember that those questions are due in by Thursday evening, uh, but if you do get it in after that, we will put it on cue for our next segment or our next Tuesday, Tuesday evening, I'm assuming. Tuesday. Tuesday, that what Tuesday said? not you said Thursday. You meant oh, Tuesday, yes. correct? Well, yeah, if you get it Tuesday. to be Thursday, then it definitely, it's definitely. It's we'll due. make it. Uh, but <laughs> Tuesday evening, get those questions in. And also live questions are welcome. Uh, we will keep an eye out for those questions uh, as you put them up. So I want to remind you uh, that we should continue to pray for our nation, our world, pray for those who are quarantine, waiting for test results, those who've lost employment, those who've lost loved ones, the at-risk populations, those who are on the front line, healthcare professionals, um, essential workers, the elderly, those with pre-existing conditions. Also want to remember to pray for the Midland folks or the surrounding areas who were uh, devastated by the flood last week. Uh, They're recovering from that or whatever that could look like. Just pray for them. Also want to remember to pray for the families of Ahmaud Aubrey, Douglas C. Lewis, Brianna Taylor, Sean Reed, and George Floyd, people who have lost their lives in this month alone um, due to what looks to be racism, um, but uh, because of the pigment of their skin. So we want to pray for them. And As we chatted about this earlier, Pastor Nathan made a great suggestion. We talk about prayer for folks all the time, but let's just take a moment to pause and and actually pray now. So wherever you are at work, um, whatever feels comfortable, closing your eyes, bowing your heads, whatever it is, um, let's have this solemn moment together as we pray. 
Lord, we need you um, every day, every hour we need you. But perhaps even in these moments where the curtain is pulled back and we're able to see just how depraved society can be, where we're able to see how life, human life, is devalued, where we're reminded that but for God, the next second is not promised. In these moments, Lord, where our mortality is ever before us, we could be depressed, we could be broken, we could be exhausted, any number of adjectives. But the best thing that we can do, Lord, is to focus on you. As we said last week, you are our peace. And so, Lord, we lift up these families to you. We don't know, perhaps, intimately what they're going through, but we can, we can relate in loss of life, loss of futures, loss of hopes and goals. We pray, Lord, that the hole that they currently have in their soul would be filled by you. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to mourn with those who mourn and hurt with those who hurt. Regardless of our background, we pray that we would seek peace and justice and truth, those things that are germane to your character. We pray, Lord, that this would not be a moment for us to disengage, but for us to further engage, knowing that at many times, all that evil needs to prosper is for good people to say nothing and do nothing. May we be your arms, your legs, your feet, your mouth in this process. May we speak truth, yes, but mixed with grace. May this hit home for all of us, regardless of our ethnicity. May we ever keep before us that regardless of the circumstances that a life or lives were lost, souls were lost, truths that are priceless and timeless, like the fact that we are made in the image of God. Let those truths, Lord, resonate with our soul. Yes, God. And we pray all this, Lord, in the name of Christ, who is our peace. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad that we are able to observe that time. Um, as a reminder, do continue to reach out to each other and care for each other. I don't say this just because I am a member of Life Church or even a pastor here at Life Church, but this has been one of the few circumstances in recent memory that I can remember where people are really reaching out and showing Christian love yeah. and caring for people in a way that um, makes us really stand countercultural and counterintuitive in a moment where most people move into themselves and stay to themselves and isolate. You have chosen by God's grace to not self-isolate, but to care for people. Yeah. Um, for instance, this week alone, I got a card from my sister, Abby, uh, which in this unique season is has been a blessing to me. It's been a spring um, along the way to the promised land, if you will, for the Egyptians. Right. It's as Exodus speaks of. And um, just to be reminded that I am here for a purpose, um, especially when sometimes those days get cloudy. So 
thank you for that card. And I'm sure she's not the only one um, it, that responded to Pastor Nathan's action steps. Um, and I'm not assuming that that's the only reason she did it, but I know she did it because she loves me and cares. Uh, but for all of you who responded to those action steps, those action steps are not merely things for you to do uh, as some kind of practice, but they're a way to flesh out the truth that you've learned in the sermon. And so um, do continue to do that. Um, continue to reach out to folks and care for folks and a letter, a card, all of that means something, especially when you are far away from people. So uh, thank you guys for loving each other. Um, and it sounds odd me thanking you for being who you've been made to be in Christ, but I still thank you for that. <laughs> so let me check in with uh, the rest of my fellow pastors here. How are you brothers doing? What's going on in your neck of the woods? How's life? Yeah, we are yep. doing okay in our household. Um, we've got our family back together now for um, almost two weeks, and that's been good. Um, I'm wearing my my twins hat again to show some love and support and be reminded to pray for, um, as you so eloquently did, pray for um, family and friends back in Minnesota and the whole city of Minneapolis and everything that's going on there. Um, and just be mindful of uh, the, the chaos that ensues from a, an event like this and the division that can come about, um, both in the political spheres, as well as in churches, even, you know, churches and pastors trying to figure out how, how should I respond? Should I respond? Should I say anything? And so there's a lot, a lot going on. And, um, and that's on my mind. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to figure out how to re-engage I think as a church and community, because a lot of people are feeling a lot of different things too. And so um, Nathan's doing a great job of, of sifting through all of those ideas and, uh, and the feedback that we get from people. Um, but there's a sense of excitement. Like we, we are gonna, we're getting closer to seeing people again face to face. And so um, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. So it, just a lot of mixed emotions and feelings and, and things. So uh, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And you are, you are, you're, well, not originally, but you just moved from Minnesota. Yeah. And yeah, I, I lived understand in that you're familiar area. with that area, right? Yeah. 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 It was in that, uh, that neighborhood uh, several different times doing different kinds of ministry. A friend of ours uh, lived just a couple blocks from there when she was um, employed there as a teacher. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's familiar to, to, to see all of that in national news. Yeah. Yeah. Just speaking of, of that, we're sifting through and there's been some things in the works um, for months as, as a church on how we can um, make an impact with the influence we have, which we hope to share with you soon. Um, but this has just created more urgency uh, in my mind for action and for movement forward. And if you're listening on the podcast or you're listening months later, um, you know, there was a, a man who, who, uh, who died because he was killed um, because a police officer put a knee in his neck and kept it there and, until he was done. And, and it was just horrifying to watch uh, as the crowd is um, begging and pleading and yelling um, and begging for this man's life. Um, and as he's cuffed on the ground, getting choked out, the just the indifference and I'm not going to get into all of it, but if you're listening later, you need to know why we're, we're processing what we're processing. And, and, um, 
you know, it, it wasn't just that we had multiple things come up and it's just this over and over and over again. And like, I, I think you just said, Jared, it's like, ah, stepping back into this again and again and again, which we, we have to do, we have to step back into this emotionally can be draining. Um, some of the things I think that are helpful because as a church, we're trying to find ways to, to help support and make a difference and move forward. But I know as an individual, I'm looking for ways myself and I hope to, to, um, share a resource that's come to my attention. Many of you have seen it. It's an article that was written a long time ago, uh, but it's 75 things white people can do for racial justice. And there, I just read through it and I'm like, man, if I picked one of these a week and just kept going, um, I think we could make an impact. So we're going to share that article with you. If you're hurting and you're like, I just, I need to do something not to assuage guilt or to, uh, you know, make it, okay, I've done my piece. I, I can move on from it. But to, because there's this, this justice that's boiling up this, this must, something must change. Something must be done. And, and getting on Facebook and doing supportive things is great. Um, it can be very divisive. I caution you to do it with as gr much grace and love and invitation to conversation. Because what you're not trying to do is rally people who already believe what you believe. But what you're trying to do is to get people to think that won't look at it. And so think of it that way. If there's someone right on the edge, what would I say to them? And that's what I would put on social media if you're going to do it at all. That's my personal preference. Um, that's what I'm suggesting to you. Don't hear me say don't say anything. That's not what I'm saying. But say something and use it in a way that's going to make an effect. So that, that article that we'll put up, uh, I think, has other practical steps that you can take as, and, and finding out and creating awareness. Um, and I'm impressed. I haven't even got all the way through them. Um, and as a church, we're trying to make some differences as well. Another video I'll post in just a moment is the Bible Project has a video called Justice. And it's, it's beautiful and it's quick and it's something that you can watch to help you understand what God's heart is and specifically Jesus's heart is in regards to righteousness and justice. Is that using the righteousness and what God has given us to, to pull people who are underprivileged, who are prejudiced against, who, who there are racist policies. It's, it's our job to be the ones who, who change that. And, and um, I want you to feel empowered to do that. And I'll speak to my white brothers and sisters. I, our job is to walk into the pain and not walk away from it, not to assuage our discomfort, but to lament, mourn, step into it, and then to act. But to act with love, to act with patience, and to act with kindness, but to sit back and do nothing. Um, if you're a Christian, you just can't. You can't. Um, God's love demands that we love each other and those who uh, are the least of, of us, not because they are less than, but because of what has happened in the past and what we have chosen to do. Um, those are our responsibility as well. So I'll put some of those things up. This is going to be an ongoing dialogue. You know, we're not going to fix this in a day, but we are going to keep going into it day after day after day. Um, so I just wanted to share that. Uh, yeah, we'll put that up, good. and that's my little moment. <laughs> um, again, we'll continue to talk about this. Before I say about how I'm doing, is there anything you guys wanted to say in response? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think I'm glad that um, at least even as we talk here, you brothers continue to use your white privilege um, 
really, uh, you know, it's even interesting, your Christian privilege too, to mm-hmm. speak about these things and your positional privilege. That's helpful. And I think that's a tidbit to folks. Um, you know, my mother-in-law, um, who is just, um, um, been a, a just a joy to watch her growth in this area um and i don't say that in a pejorative way um but i say that in a way of just more awareness my mother-in-law is caucasian for some of you who may be unaware um and you know i shared with her color compromise and uh in a span of a week or so she's probably shared it with like 10 15 other people who have went to go purchase it um, something simple as that as just making a recommendation and using your Facebook influence. In fact, I messaged uh, Jamar Tisby and said, hey, brother, you might see an uptick in the purchases. <laughs> just want you to know <laughs> that we're doing our share here in Michigan and in, and yeah. in Arizona. Um, but um, I, I think the reality of the matter is there is so much to do. And I used to say that I didn't, um, I want people to do it out of the right motives uh, and motives are important. I don't really care anymore. Just do something. Mm. Wow. Um, we, we, it, it, and I hate to say it, and this is just par for course, but we just going to take what we can get at this point because activity is better than inactivity and, and your motives can be figured out with God later on. Um, I would hope it's not just because of white guilt. Um, I would hope it's not just because you want to just check a list, like you said, you know, uh, Pastor I think that's so true. I think at a, at a point you have to dig deep and figure out why this is important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, just do something. Just, just you know, I never thought I would quote Nike in my <laughs> life <laughs> um, because I, I, I really dislike that paradigm, right? Just do it because it has so many connotations, but just do something. Um, speak, say something, ask a question. Um, and one of the reasons I love uh, the the sisters that I that I was and and the brother TJ, Lindsay, shouting out all these folks and so many names that we were just walk through color of compromise um, with the Pams, both Pams, and you know all of that. And and it it was just great to hear our white brothers and sisters be passionate, not saying hey this offends black people, but saying no, I'm actually offended that this is happening. Um, and so use that folks, use that, hope it's your own, but if it's not just act and, and we're good with that for now. Mm. Anything, Jared? Um, I like what you said about asking questions. I think there's, there's no shortage of learning. And so, um, even for some of the people that are watching now or those that will listen later, um, I know that there's this voice still out there. the voice that says, oh, why do we have to keep talking about this? Mm. And I get that. Um, I do. And, and I want to say, I hear you and don't, don't um, use that as an opportunity to stop learning and being educated about um, American history, uh, true American history. Um, Color of compromise is obviously, I'll, I'll say it again, but that's a uh, that is a great start to learning uh, more about the history. Um, we've mentioned that book a, a couple different times, but that's um, that's really what that book is. I think it's a it's a good historical um, account, and um, and specifically as it relates to how the church has been involved in the history uh, over the course of 400, 500 years. So, um, yeah, keep asking questions. Keep keep deciding to sit at the table to, to learn, um, yeah. to understand, to seek understanding. Um, 
because I know that there are probably a handful of people who are uh, well along in years of life and, and have decided that, you know, I, I think I know how the world works and I think I've got things figured out and will want to stop learning as a result of that. And I would just say, don't, don't be tempted by that. Um, there's, there's always more to learn. And so keep, keep engaging in the process. Yeah. Amen. Well, um, yeah, well, I'm turning a little bit uh, as we kind of go into more of our regular scheduled um, things. My family is good. We, we were not here last Thursday. A lot of people were concerned. Um, I was in a different, I was in a camper somewhere in the United States. Uh, and it was a really good time for me to uh, celebrate my wife's birthday, uh, Memorial Day with family and get out uh, a little bit and get some sun. And apparently the sun was great here as well. A little cloudy today, but I'm loving the warm weather. Uh, I'm in my office right now, uh, picking up some things, uh, getting out of the house a little bit, getting some things done. It's very weird walking around uh, with no one here. Uh, and I'm excited to see what the next couple of weeks are going to look like for the church. It was great to get some space and uh, great to get back into it as I feel we're getting closer and closer. Um, I'll be releasing next week uh, a plan for the changes that are coming, uh, about a two to three week plan so that people can see because things will be changing and opening up. Uh, which is exciting, you know, as we continue to um, work on how to do that in a, in a safe way. But getting back together, I think we're going to have more opportunities to do that moving forward. So look out for that. I'll be putting it on Facebook and really uh, the Now page, right? I'll email people. We'll put it on Facebook. But the Now page has the up-to-date information on uh, what we'll be doing in the next couple of weeks. You know, I, I got asked to, to do a wedding uh, in September. So it, to me, it feels like, Look, there, there's some things opening up. There's some, there's some hope on the horizon, and uh, I, I'm really excited for that to happen. There's some exciting things going to be happening in the next couple of weeks here at the church as well. So I, I wish I could tell you about all of them, um, but uh, I can't wait to, to share them with you. So I, I have a sense of um, uh, eager anticipation uh, about being able to start stepping into a new phase as we are 10 weeks of the year pre-COVID, 10 weeks of the year shelter in place. If you didn't know that, that's what just happened. We've spent mm. more of 2020 in shelter in place than out of it. So I am, I'm about done, but wow. we're, we're going to do this the right way. Man, that's, yeah, it's amazing. It, it, some days it feels like it's been a few weeks. Some days it feels like it's been a few months. Some days it feels like this has just been life. And it's odd. some days I don't know what day it is. <laughs> so, but cool. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Um, uh, last week on Facebook, uh, Brother Roberto Calderon asked, specifically Daniel, says, Daniel, when and why did you decide to leave Islam? I know Christ being the main factor, but what was the reason? When and why? So let me give a little context. So last week we were chatting about, ah, gosh, I forgot what it was. It was something that led to um, my just a, a little sidestep of me saying, well, you know, I used to be a practicing Muslim. Um, and some context behind that, I was born in Washington, D.C., raised in Nigeria for about 10 years. And in Nigeria, um, like really any other country, just looks different. 
there is a sort of paganism or paganization of Christianity, or perhaps syncretism is the best word to to look at it. And um, so mostly, and I could speak just specifically about Nigeria at this point, Islam and Christianity are seen as multiple ways to one God uh, by by the majority of people. Uh, it's like that age-old um, uh, story or proverb about how people are blind and they're touching an elephant and one person touches the tail and says, oh, it's a snake. Another person touches the leg of the elephant and says, oh, it's a tree. Uh, and that essentially people are grasping and we all have some aspect of God and we're all leading to one God. So that is that is syncretism, um, at least from an orthodox religion perspective, where Islam is seen as, as just a, a different type of Christianity. So uh, my grandparents, grandfather and grandmother on my maternal side are Sunni or were Sunni for my grandfather. He passed away, but were Sunni Muslims. Um, and so I stayed with them for a couple of years and uh, would go to um, the mosque um, and with my grandfather. Great time together. We had some of my fondest memories in life is my time with my grandfather, who actually um, interesting tidbit was lost at sea for a few years in the um, early 1900s uh, and was 10 seconds away from be becoming a slave uh, and was only saved by his captain of the ship because he was a sailor who said no he's my slave lying to the other people so that they could let my grandfather go so and he was lost at sea for about six months my grandmother with 10 children uh, couldn't provide and was wondering what the future would look like. And the Lord and his kindness brought him back home. Um, so he was um, a few minutes away from becoming an American uh, in a very bad way. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, so they're Sunni Muslims and um, throughout just life, just ended, ended up becoming a Muslim. Now, just so you know, I was a Christian before. Prior to that, I come to from a Christian household. So I was probably a cultural Christian then a Muslim, then a cultural Christian again, and then finally a real Christian. <laughs> and I'll explain that at some point in the future. But so it's funny how that worked out. So it wasn't so much Christ that brought me out of Islam as much as it was just a cultural thing. In fact, some days on Friday at 3 p.m., I'd be at the mosque and 6 p.m., I'd be at the church um, because my aunts who lived in the area were Christians. So I uh, hope that answers your question. But um, I would say now, of course, on this side of everything, yes, of course, it's Christ. It's Christ who has drawn me from day one and kept me from uh, living into it. Because truth be told, there are a lot of things that I learned from Islam that I still that still impact me today. The discipline, the prayers, the fasting, the, just the discipline of what it means to be a Muslim um, was just huge. And uh, we would do well to learn a little bit from that as Christians. Um, but um, obviously, just, you know, um, and let me say this part and then I'll, I'll, I'll move on is I do want to be clear that from my biblical understanding, Islam and Christianity are not the same faith. And so even though that that was a syncretistic background I came from, um, just speaking biblically, we do serve two different gods. And we can have that conversation at a different time, a different day. So hopefully that answers your question, brother. If you have any follow-ups, we'll be keeping our eyes peeled. And then we have the next question is, I believe, Pastor Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, I am curious though, Daniel, just real quick, because my question is completely a different topic. Right, and so right. I want to stay on this for just a second. But like, would you say that your experience was somewhat normal? Um, for And what I mean by that is, do you know of other people 
who you grew up with who were Christian, then Muslim, then, then Christian again? Maybe not in that same type of... Um, so the normalcy would be the syncretistic part of it, right? The, sure. the worshiping multi. So, so you have people who's, who come from staunch Muslim backgrounds would go to the mosque and still go to Christianity and even go to the uh, uh, indigenous religions yeah. because they saw it as just one good melt of, hey, I, God is pragmatic, right? Right, right? So whatever way I can get to God, whatever thing I can do, let me get to it. So I, maybe not in that same category um, of cultural than Islam, but maybe Islam um, as a cultural Islam, Islamic person, not really uh, enmeshed in it and then becoming a cultural Christian um, and staying that way. So the large majority of people that I have ex- met, and so I'm, I'm sort of narrowing that, not to sure. say all people, of right. Africans, and I can narrow it further to Nigerians, are syncretistic in their view. Um, and, 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 then, and then you have another level of pantheism, which they won't think is pantheism. They would say it's a true God, but they sort of have that almost um, Catholic view of... Um, uh, veneration of saints in a sense, but it will be just African deities. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of bleeds into what we were talking about the other day about voodoo and stuff. So this, you see right. how that, that view. So it's helpful when you know that when you're ministering to people. But mm-hmm. yeah, so the trajectory is usually a cultural Christian or a cultural Muslim, and then they'll move to either one, or then they'll become a little more less, uh, a little less than culture and actually deep into it, or yeah. they just remain cultural. Okay. Yeah, because the reason I ask is um, I know we're near um, a a larger Muslim population, I would Mm -hmm. say, in the outskirts of of Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, What I'm coming to learn, I'm still uh, relatively new here, but learning that about this area. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder how many of our people at Life Church and and then beyond this um, are interacting with people at their places of work who practice Islam um, and, and how they're building relationship with them and learning a little bit more about their background, yeah, yeah. wondering, you know, what, what transitions look like in their life and in terms of their faith as well. So thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Um, I'm totally going to turn a corner with this question from Jim. I feel like before you turn a corner, I, th- I feel uh, like Nathan has something. Oh, okay. I did, but I was going to let it flow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have a brother. He's in my doctoral program. His name's Io. And Io uh, was he's born. Yoruba. In, yeah. Yeah. Io's amazing. He is, his story, and he has a voice. I mean, his voice is so low. He could read the phone book, and I'd be like, you're amazing. <laughs> um, like, just What's a phone book? Oh, yeah, just I, sorry. No, keep going. All keep those going. Gen Zs, we used to have to write them in these big <laughs> books that they would deliver to your house, and then yeah, okay. weird men who talked about Jesus would rip them apart in the power, <laughs> the power team. Sorry, I was bringing team. a lot together in one That's thing. It's all right. It's all good. Watchtower. He, he could read the terms and conditions of your Apple plan. There you go. <laughs> Anyways, it, so this man, he, he was born and had like a voodoo priest um, prophesy over him mm-hmm. that he would be an amazing teacher. Went from that, became a, it, it went to Islam and was pursuing, was almost became an imam, imam, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then God showed up to him, called him out. So now he's, he's a, he's a Christian preacher and, and he preaches and he has, it's powerful, but getting to hear his story, it's just a, there's a uniqueness. And I think that's what we were talking about. There's a uniqueness to people's experiences. Um, and I think learning those and hearing those and the testimony of those helps refine and deepen our own understanding of how powerful 
and amazing um, Christ is and how he meets people exactly where they're at and in situations that seem so far significant. I think we, we look at our experience of church and reality in, in the Christian church and evangelical Christian church. And we get so narrow minded um, about how God can show up and show people Christ and who is the only way. And uh, I, I just was really intrigued by that and getting to know people I think is huge in their stories. Yeah. Yeah. Turn that Sweet. corner. Yeah. Hey, turn I, in the corner. I, I had another rabbit trail, but I'm gonna let it be. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So Jan uh, asked uh, a question about our, uh, partnerships, affiliations, um, and the question goes like this, what does Life Church say or do in terms of partnership with other local, regional churches or churches abroad in terms of, um, I think she means reaching across, learning lessons from one another, and, um, and then she has some examples via social media, industry, um, and that's what I'm seeing in her question. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to kind of share a little bit about that. Life Church um, actually is a network of churches. It started as Life Church Canton, but then uh, planted churches. Um, and I, I hope I'm getting the order correct. Uh, but we went Livonia, then Southfield, or Southfield, then Livonia. Nathan, you might have to correct me on that. I think it was Southfield, Livonia, uh, Auburn Hills, and soon to be Riverside in Detroit. Um, and so, so we, as Life Church, are part of a network. But then, uh, and we partner with them on on various things. More recently, uh, uh, Nathan and Daniel partnered with the lead pastors of those sites, and had a great discussion um, about responding to injustice. And so, um, you can go back to our podcast and, and listen to that. Um, but then, we're also part of a greater denomination called the ECC, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and uh, they're headquartered in Chicago. And then at various times throughout the year, uh, we connect with other pastors who are also part of that denomination to build relationships, to learn about one another, to learn uh, what different churches throughout um, our region and maybe even throughout the nation are doing uh, that's working well, uh, maybe things that they're learning that's not working well. Um, I would also say we have a partnership with a, a, an orphanage in Haiti called Ebenezer Glen Orphanage. Mm -hmm. And uh, last week, uh, Kate, I think, talked just a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and so that's a, that's a great partnership that um, we're able to invest on a global level. And then I would say uh, many of us, the, the three of us, as well as some of the other pastors on our, on our team and other staff, have, uh, we, we all come from different churches and backgrounds and states even. And so we've, we've kept in contact with a lot of our friends who are also uh, pastors or work at churches and are able to just dialogue with them at a more sort of grassroots level uh, to learn about what they're doing in their churches. And I would say this season specifically has enabled that uh, because of the technology to, to try to understand, you know, what are you doing in the midst of COVID? How are you planning to return to your building? What are some different things that you're learning about your community? So those kinds of things. So I hope that answers your question, Jan. But um, yeah, I think it's important that a church doesn't stay in isolation, that they don't just say, well, we've, we've got the corner of the market on what we're doing and we've got it figured out. And so we're just going to stick with that and go with that. But you know, to learn what, what are some other churches doing, maybe churches that aren't like us, um, to, to grow and to make sure that people come to know Jesus in an impactful way. So 
that's what I have for Jan. Sweet. Next on the block. Yeah, another question. How does the church play a role in integrating the mental health, um, spiritual and mental and mental health healing in the community and workplace? Um, so the question is asking, what do we do with spiritual health care and mental health healing on the spiritual side and the mental side? Um, of of that in the community and the workplace, and so how I think the question behind it is is what are we doing and how do we partner with Christians who go out into the workplace and go out into the community and how to love well and and we're really growing in this. I'll talk a little bit about what we have done, and then there are things that we are continuing to do as we press into that, and that's really a lot of what Pastor Daniel is doing as he's starting with some uh, mental health training. I'll let him briefly just kind of lay out some of those things. But I think awareness has been huge since being here for about two years. Um, we've been able to integrate a lot more into our sermons, into the dialogue about mental health and about being aware that there are people in the room who have issues. And even when we do a series on anxiety, which we're talking about primarily anxiety that most people feel, realizing that uh, most people feel on a daily basis is working through that, realizing that anxiety as a, a mental um, problem or having other sides, having an awareness of that and pointing people to, um, to the right steps moving forward, uh, I think is key. I believe in a holistic health health of the body, the mind, the heart, the soul, mental health. And, and so even we can go back, I think three or four weeks ago, we had him, uh, Lynn Jaredon talking about mental health and, and bringing awareness. I think that most of the times when you uh, meet with a pastor about an issue. We are working to uh, be aware of those things. Uh, and part of what Daniel is doing as well with the staff and other people is helping understand how to recognize and perform CPR, essentially, to help people get into the right areas. Um, but truly what people need more than anything else is someone who is a discipler, someone who is going to pour their life into people as they need someone who's going to go out and walk with them um, and support them and point them in the right direction. And so I think the basic um, underlying function of what we need to do as a church is teach people how to disciple people, how to love them and be with them and point them to Christ, and then continue to equip them with knowledge, practical skills, um, and awareness to not only see um, where you know counseling or, or help could be used personally, but how to uh, see that in those that they love around them and partner with them. So some of it's taking away the stigma. Yeah. Some of it is recognizing that they're in the room. Uh, some of it is is training people to be disciples and to love people practically. And then um, there are some other practical steps that Pastor Daniel's um, jumping into. So I just want to turn over to him as he's he, uh, skilled, gifted, trained, and passionate about this. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think um, I think you're right. I mean, I think, in fact, I would just push in a little more and say uh, the large part of it is the stigma removal. Um, yeah. It is, um, you know, you know, one one major fact is that someone who is struggling with mental illness is more prone to harm in themselves than other people. And mm -hmm. and so when you look at the caricature of someone struggling with mental illness, you usually see them as someone who's homicidal and they're, they're going to harm you. But they'll they'll they're more likely to harm themselves than they are to harm you. Um, and so even removing that aspect or 
or the fact that one out of five struggles with some sense of some type of mental illness. Um, and that's reported. It, the number is actually more grim when you think about what's not reported because it takes an average person approximately 10 years to report a mental illness. Um, and so the role of the church is to be the church. Um, interestingly enough, and one of the things that I teach in mental health uh, awareness is the, the sort of one of the main things is yes, you want to triage and sort of uh, assess for a risk of suicide or harm. But at the end of it, we talk about encouraging support um, and being in a community. Sounds like the church. Uh, being loved on and cared about. And we've seen people recover better from mental illness because they have that support of a church. And so really um, beyond becoming an expert on mental illness, just become an expert in loving people. Um, and that's kind of what you said. It's like, if if we disciple people better, we would one, become quickly aware of the problems that they may have. And then secondly, we'd be able to be that support that encourages people, right? Because it's sad, right? If you think about that, just that it takes an average of 10 years, which means there are some who are more or less, it takes an average of 10 years to report mental illness. Now, if you have a broken leg, does it take you 10 years to get to the doctor? Mm -hmm. Think about what happens if you spent 10 years waiting to get to a doctor with your legs. But when it comes to mental illness, people may have a broken brain, if you will, or broken emotions, and it takes 10 years because of the stigma, because I don't want to be called crazy. I don't want to be called psycho. I don't want to be stigmated by my disease or my, my whatever. So yeah. even... Even changing the jargon is huge, right? It's like, oh, we will say, oh, you know, that's Mike. He's bipolar. No, he's struggling with bipolar. He's not bipolar. Or that's John, and he's he's schizophrenic. No, he is struggling with schizophrenia, but he is not schizophrenia. And so, so that's very helpful, especially when it comes to mental health. And so, one of the things we've done practically is engage it in our sermons. So, Pastor Nathan's talked about that. Engage it in our sermons. Talk about it. We've been doing that with every topic. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. If it's in the text, we'll talk about it because we want to be faithful to what God is saying. And then, secondly having ongoing conversations with people like Lynn and quite a few other people who are in the mental health field or retired from the mental health field, my wife as well, um, and trying to create a cohort. And so obviously we've kind of been taken back a little bit with COVID, uh, but we want to create this cohort where there's a sort of triage team where we are able to have experts on deck, but also to multiply myself in a sense of the trainings um, to be able to bring not just the training I have, but other trainers together and to inform the staff, the leadership, people who are directly uh, like people from CR, which I did a training with them earlier this year or last year, uh, Celebrate Recovery. Um, and so once we remove that stigma and the awareness is like, it's not this fringe thing that's happening over there, but it's this thing that's happening to all of us and that we are all at risk of having a, a mental um, lasp, a lapse in a sense, um, or, or, or a disorder or a disease or just an experience or an episode. Um, once we, we get that captured as a church, I think it opens up room to be able to love people in very practical ways. So that cohort is what we're doing. Ongoing training is what we're doing. Uh, be talking about it in such a way that we bring awareness to it. It's just as much as you would talk about justice issues and anything else is you're bringing awareness to it so that people aren't shocked by it. The shell shockness is removed and there's an awareness and the stigma is removed. And then you can actually see the image of God in people, however distorted that image is. So in a nutshell, that's 
what we've been doing. So we've been very practical about that. And if there's anything you know, Jan, or anybody else that you think will be helpful, please feel free to email me um, in that way that we can just include all those things. I believe that we can learn from all different aspects and bring it together uh, and refine that because the Bible is very clear that we are mind, body, and soul. Um, and so, yeah, so we want to nurture that. Yeah, I think that's important too, just to just to speak about it, um, to address the stigma. I think uh, yeah. the church that I was at before, we talked about mental health, and at the time, it was still relatively new for um, sort of evangelical churches to talk about yeah. it because it was like like you talk you gave the illustration of a broken leg. That's easy to see. It's easy to see somebody in pain. It's easy to see on an X-ray. We'll bring them a casserole. We'll do something if the right, back is right. But if somebody has a mental health episode, we don't bring yeah. casseroles. We don't do anything. Well, it's and it's hard to like. Uh, where's the evidence of it? You yeah. know, and it's hard yeah. to convince people, especially in the church, even more because um, now all of a sudden it's exclusively a spiritual thing. And I've mm -hmm. I've um, experienced some situations in churches where it's no you you just need to pray against the mental unhealth. Uh, you just need to uh, ask for more of the spirit or you need to have more faith um, for the sake of your fear. And it's just like, it's, it's not that clear cut, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, but I think I'm, I'm encouraged that I think that stigma is starting to go away a little bit more in churches yeah. who are at least attempting to uh, attack this and, and go after it and talk about it and comfort people in the midst of it. I, I was encouraged at the church I was at where we just had an abnormal suicide rate um, in that particular county. And we asked the um, mental health professionals, like, what's something that we can do as a faith community? And they said, honestly, just talk about it. Just acknowledge that it uh, that it's a thing. And so we had a couple different series on uh, mental health and faith. And I, I don't know if we directly did to this, but we did see a slight trend downward mm. in the suicide rate in the county um, over the course of, of, I think, about one to two years or something mm. like that. So, um, yeah, talk about it. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, this, this is one of those rabbits that we might run through because just last week or two weeks ago, Darren Patrick, pastor, former pastor of The Journey, took his life. Um, and I think one of the things that's bringing awareness to this is that you're starting to see uh, juggernauts in the faith, men that you would say were living the perfect life, fall victim to mental illness. And that's the thing, like, so, you know, when, when a celebrity or someone that's important or someone that's huge or someone that you least expected falls victim to something, then the awareness goes, but sometimes it's like a flash and then it goes back. I will say this, I wish I could say that the church has been, and with something you said, Jared, just reminded me that you and I have had many personal conversations about this type of issue. I wish I could say that the church was merely complicit in this area, but the, the church in sometimes has actually inflicted harm in this area. So I remember giving a class about four years ago um, in Maryland on mental health, and one of the ladies came to me, she was actually going to Ghana at the time, and she said, you know, she's going to Ghana and one of the things she wants to talk about is mental health. So that's why she came to the class. And she said there in that city in Ghana, which is actually not just germane to Ghana alone, it's happening all over the world. But pastors were actually chaining people with mental health to trees and beating the demon out of them. Um, 
such human such such inhumane abuse of people um and so the church in many areas has been not just complicit but harmful um and like anything else because the church is filled with human beings who are flawed um there we do get to redeem this and this is another way that we can redeem this by caring for people who are marginalized in this specific area so yeah i mean well well said well done cool What's our next question? Uh, what does the Bible say about tattoos? All right. Well, if you have them, then you're sinning against God. Pastor Nathan, you need to repent. Daniel, you need to repent. <laughs> Jared, do you need to repent? <laughs> no? Guess not. Oh, man. You <laughs> I've wanted one, but I don't no. have any. Repent of your desire, brother. Repent yeah, of your okay. desire. I'll do that. Well, so there's one verse in all of scripture that's explicitly, so I want to say explicitly, there might be some implicit passages, but that speaks of uh, tattoos in general. And that's Leviticus 19, uh, verse 28. Now you're going to hear me say something after I read this, um, which you're at this point, you've heard me say millions of times. But the verse says this, and it says, you shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor make any tattoo. Now, the word tattoo doesn't actually show up there, but that's a translation. But shall not make any marks on yourself, any tattoo marks on yourself. And then it ends and say, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. So, first of all, context is king. Context is very important um, in everything that we do. The first thing to note is who is God speaking to or who is being spoken to and who is doing the speaking. So the who, what, when, and where is always important. Um, what's where, what sort of, and I hate to use the word dispensation because that can trigger some people, but what sort of dispensation are we under? We're under the law here, right? We're talking about laws, ceremonial laws, sundry laws, civil laws, and all that good stuff. Um, and so, especially when you're reading the Old Testament, you are, it's usually not a one for one translation to our context, it's typically, um, a sort of underlining principle that we need to extract from that. And so when you look at this passage, the first thing that you would know is that if you read the whole chapter 19, this is, this is God giving uh, instructions and rules and regulations to Israel just coming out of the pagan culture of Egypt. So that's very important cultural and historical context. And so this passage, and just sort of to nutshell this, this passage in a nutshell speaks more of idolatry and, and necromancy, the worship or of the dead, right? The sort of veneration of the dead. And so it's not so much the tattoo per se, it's what is symbolized in that culture and in that context. And so when you're talking about cuts in your body for the dead, it's a veneration of the dead, the worship of the dead, uh, where uh, people would mark the names and the and the pictures of their dead ones as a way to worship them, not as an honoring or remembering or memorial, but as a way to worship them and to venerate them and to get some sort of spiritual benefit from it or in the worship of idols who called them to do that. So you see this even in Kings where Elijah made fun of the people as they were uh, calling out to Baal and they started to even cut into their skin as a way of sort of um, worshiping Baal. And so, so again, in a nutshell, this passage is about idolatry and about the worship of the dead and that, and tattoo was a cultural thing that was used to do that. Now with that said though, um, in our context, I think the, the sort of motive is always important. Why are you getting a tattoo, right? So if you get a tattoo, of a, an unclad woman on your on your on your 
body, um, that's not honoring to God, if you will. So there's this, this sort of important to think of those things. Um, but in a nutshell, it is about idolatry. That context of that passage is very clear. First, we're not under the law. That's number one. Secondly, uh, in terms of an overarching theme, um, beyond um, a tattoo, in what ways are we um, committing idolatry? Are we worshiping the God of money, the God of sex, the God of whatever else you want to put in that category? Or are we are we so stuck on the dead? And in our culture, we're probably not worshiping the dead, but from the background I come from, that's not something that is too uh, out of the norm for someone to go to someone's burial ground and worship at their burial ground to hope that they can, one, take some of their power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happens even in a Christian, so-called oh pagan Christian churches. In yep. fact, it happens in America, actually. What am I saying? What is it called? Yeah, it happened the other That's week. soaking. Or something Soak, like that. Yeah, laying yeah. on the grave of a dead Christian you who go. had power, and you're soaking up its 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 spiritual. Yeah, yeah, that, that, and that's so called Christians, right? That, so, that's America right now. Yeah, that's, that's America. We're not going to get into who or what right now, but that's happening. You, you're just a Google away. <laughs> <laughs> soaking. Let's yeah, about that. So yeah, death soaking. I think it's called grave soaking, something like that. Yeah. Wow. So that's what I would say as it pertains to tattoo. Context wow. is king. Read the context. I have a tattoo. Spoiler alert. Um, and it's not a worship of the dead. It's actually a memorial of my aunt who passed away. Um, just to remember uh, her, um, and what God has done in her life and the blessing that she was to me. So again, full context of that idolatry to worship of the dead. Any further thoughts on that? Anything that could be helpful? Yeah, I think I think too the understanding of our formal our, our our what our tattoos are for us nowadays that didn't exist in that culture back no. then, so it was primarily imprintment incision uh, incision branding yeah. um, was there. So the word tattoo we we see it in our Bible and think oh tattoos is exactly what they're doing nowadays. It's it's not, but I th- I think that's just a small thing. The bigger overarching um, stuff you talked about. Also, I, I would also say from a hermeneutic standpoint or a theological standpoint whenever you just have one verse talking about something <laughs> to build an entire theology on it is unwise mm-hmm. um, and that happens in other instances many mm-hmm. which we will not get into mm-hmm. um, I will also say and I say this a lot because I want to help out my my um, my parents here uh, I did not get my first tattoo until I was 30 years old and I have wanted tattoos for a long time, but I waited, and and so it is a is important that you do um, don't just take your liberty um, that you have in Christ and grace that you have in Christ flippantly, but yeah. that you should pray and and be wise in that. Yeah. We just don't have the same conversation about tattoos that we do about ear piercing, and the Bible yeah. has stuff to say about that as well. Yes, it does. <laughs> actually some very interesting things to say about that there's a lot uh, more going on there yeah, actually yeah, uh, but yeah, but we yeah. don't talk about that because it's it's no. cute for women to wear earrings yeah but i did have earrings at one point but we won't talk about that either did you <laughs> okay I, <laughs> we might have to bribe the wife to get us some old pictures brother <laughs> yeah let's hope not <laughs> <laughs> oh speaking of which happy belated birthday to jenna um yeah. hope you had a great time um cool uh, any any thoughts on that, Pastor Jared, on tattoos? Since you are the holiest one here, well, no tattoos, don't go, no I wouldn't go that far in terms of holiness. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. That's very flattering of you. Um, I don't have any tattoos, but some of that has to do with I was an art major for uh, two years in college, mm-hmm. and it's the only area of my life where I feel like a perfectionist. And so, if I I would want to design it myself and put it somewhere, got it, and then I would it. look at it 
frustrated for the rest of my life. Like, oh, it's, it's not <laughs> So your right. pride kept you away right, from a tattoo. You know? <laughs> so I'm just too hesitant. But I did have an eyebrow ring in college. I don't know why. Ooh, oh, solid. Oh, That's solid. You can still see the, the scar. A labre yeah. ring, as it were. A what? Oh, is it called a labre ring or whatever it's called? I don't know. It's the called labre. You're talking about. 19, careful. You, you start know. talking. He's I know. talking in tongues over there. I know. <laughs> I have no, no reason why. My prefrontal cortex hadn't been fully developed yet, and so that was the decision I made. That's a good one. Oh, it, good it has one. been now? <laughs> Jury's still out. <laughs> All right, well, it looks like we've got just a few more minutes. We've got about five minutes, so we will end on this last question. Um, so that's the tattoo one. We're done with that. Um, and passenger, you are up next. Okay. Talking about PTSD, you got five minutes to capture oh, everything. Boy. PTSD. Oh. Would you rather? Would you rather skip it? I can do the next one in five. Yeah. Do yeah. Let's let's yeah. start with it next week because it's a it's an important Big one. one. I think it, it, is, yeah. it, is, it is. It is. So it is. the question I have is um, the simplest way to ask this is where did Cain's wife come from? The Bible says he made love to her after. Abel's death if he and Abel were uh, the only kin. So he's like, wait a minute. Let me tell you a little bit what's going on. Adam and Eve in the garden, first humans. They uh, they uh, 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 had children. Um, they were kicked out of the garden, had children. Cain, Abel. Cain is the first murderer. Cain killed Abel, and then God marked him and sent him off. Okay, great. The people are saying, okay, well, wait a minute. Cain goes, and then he goes and has children. And they're like, well, where did those children come from? And were there people um, around already? And, and there's confusion around that. And so I think it's a really great question. Uh, I want to bring some, some information to that quickly. First of all, um, in Jewish tradition, uh, there are, I think, uh, 33 to 23 children that they believe Adam and Eve had. That's Jewish tradition. So it does say that there were multiple children. We only know of three of them, Abel, Cain, and Seth, but there were other children of Adam and Eve. Now, they lived, uh, Adam lived to 930 years old. I'm going to put that into perspective. How many babies could you have in that amount of time? A lot of babies, and they were not the first. So if they had, say, 32 children or less, conservatively, by the time that Adam died, there could be 32,000 humans. 32,000. Yeah. That's a significant amount of people. Yeah, so the, specifically the scripture um, that I want to reference in here, and I'm going to put up an article so you can look at all this yourself, because if you're like interested and want to know more, there's a there's the biblical backing for all of this, mm-hmm. where they get it from, all of it. I'm not just pulling this out uh, of my head. I think it's important. Um, uh, but Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. He left where the God's people were, um, his family, and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Some time passed, and then Cain knew his wife and conceived and bore Enoch. He built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch, and so on and so forth. And what you see over and over again is people who sin against God go and have families that make it really hard for the people of God. Um, there's, it's just this common theme. Um, but what happened is when they spread out, they would need have needed to spread out from the Garden of Eden if there are 32,000 people. They would have needed to spread out into the land um, because they could not create food. There was an abundance of food. They don't even know how to do all this. They had to learn. Um, so there's people who, to the east of Eden, Eden stopped. Now, 
America's been around for how many years? Two hundred and fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine what what uh, what three, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred years uh, apart from a family would do. So there's there's really a big perspective there. Um, we're talking about the length of time that since they settled. Look what's happened to America since they settled. They came over. I mean, the change is phenomenal. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of where it's at. And then you can go in the article about whether it was, you know, weird. It's not like he married his sister, uh, his direct sister. It, it would have been, you know, a niece. It's it, going to the article is what I can say. Yeah, I mean, um, there's, a, but, there's a genetic argument, too, for that, clearly. Well, yeah. 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 And then the degeneration of, of yeah. you know, intermarriage creates degenerative yeah. issues here. And we're like, well, how could that work? And I'm like, well, imagine having a perfect genome and yeah. then yeah. then just splitting off. splitting off. And then you just see the uh, age of everybody just gets worse and worse and worse to now we're barely making it to 100 if we're lucky where yeah. Adam is living 900 some years. So, you know, there that's kind of what, you know, there's arguments for that too. I won't get into it. It's very interesting. I'll put the article up. Um, but what I will say is a pre-Adam, um, I do not personally believe that there was a group of people pre-Adam, that these are all of Adam and Eve's descendants. Um, and we're going to have a whole discussion about the purpose of Genesis and what kind of literature it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we're just going to stick to what, let's just take it as it is right there and look at it, there's, here's the biblical basis for all of that. Um, so I'll put that article up right now. Um, and it's from the Blue Letter Bible. Um, which is where you can find a lot of commentaries. It has some pretty good stuff there. Yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only thing I would just remind folks is that the Bible is not a detailed account of every single thing that happened in history. Nope. It's not. It, it has a purpose, right? Genesis, which is what you were uh, pointing at, Pastor Nathan, Genesis has a reason. And and actually, the whole Bible has a reason, right? It keeps. We did this, this, this great series called The Story of God. Um, go check it out on our website. Uh, we talk about how it is a portion where we talk about how it all leads to the Messiah. Um, and that's the sort of narrowing down, which is great. Um, and, and the other thing is I would say this isn't actually too far-fetched, right? So Genghis Khan had about 2,000 children. Yeah. In fact, every single, it, it said that actually people in China, that there's almost nobody in China that doesn't have a, a, a sort of DNA connection yep. to Genghis Khan. Um, but even closer, uh, right now, in, a man just died in May 2020. Uh, Francisco Sabalo from Angola had 156 children. That's Francisco. Go, sir. Guinness Book <laughs> Records has a Russian woman from Shure, Russia, who had 69 children. She had 16 twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets. So in the king, no, in a former that's king, not the, that's, that's not real. That's real. That's not real. Shusha, oh my gosh. Shusha. She's from Shuya, Russia, and she had 69 children, one woman. Um, and so, it's, I mean, it's so way. much, right? Zimbabwe, <laughs> he, this man in Zimbabwe had 128 children. The King Sabuza of Swaziland, this is facts, had 210 children and over 1,000 grandchildren. I mean, in Africa, in Nigeria, Nigeria is known for being the yeah. twin capital of all of the world. We have more twins than anything else. Uh, and so my grandfather had somewhere close to about 10, 15 kids. Um, yeah, with twins in Nigeria. Twins, but, I have twins. but yeah, so, so folks, this isn't far-fetched. 
This yeah. isn't far-fetched. And keep in mind, also culturally, in many places, the more children you have, the better your family is. You have children oh, yeah. that can farm the land and all That's that right. good stuff. So uh, context is king. Yeah. That was a good one to end on. Wow, we went. Yeah, we started talking about Russian ladies. Yeah, man. Russian, Russian children and Siberian monks. And oh, my gosh. We just went there. <laughs> Uh, well, folks, next week we're going to have a special guest uh, on, so stay tuned for that. If you can guess who it is next week, you will have the privilege of hearing us again uh, the week <laughs> after. So that's a great <laughs> gift to you. We are happy to oblige. Um, but yeah, and if you have thoughts on anything for, our, for the show, for our time here, I hate calling it a show because it's just us hanging out. Um, so any, any, any final words, folks? No. Nope. All right. Well, we love you guys. We are thankful for you. And I'm going to end streaming in one, two, three. <laughs>